Hi, I'm Shaky, and these are my tales of times forgotten. This is Shaky Subject Matter. So I'm here with Peter Wheatstraw Goral. Goral. Yeah. Who is in an undisclosed location in the Polo area. And he is a world renowned toy maker whose character, Phantom Starkiller, is the start, right? Is that the first? Um, no, it wasn't the first figure that I made. Um, he, I've made him as my first San Diego Comic Con exclusive. So that was okay. maybe like three or four years into me making toys. So let's let's get to the start. Okay, of me making yes, toys. Yeah. Okay, so I was uh, in Rockford, Illinois, working at a factory, uh, Leading Edge Hydraulics that makes hydraulic lines for John Deere, Caterpillar, tractors, and shit like that. Fun stuff. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and it was just I, you know, I don't have any. Uh, like college degree or anything i went to high school graduated high school and then just got a job and uh so i was doing that and working at just fa- basically factory work making just a little above minimum minimum wage and i had a daughter around 12 years ago and instead of going out and you know doing the stuff that normal 22 year old people do i was kind of started wanting to stay home more and just, you know, be more of a homebody. And um, I've always collected toys and had a passion for toys and action figures and other collectibles and love all different things in pop culture. And I just started taking my passion for collecting toys into making toys. And at the time, there was literally nobody doing things like that the internet and social media the internet had been around but social media was kind of a new thing yeah a lot of people don't realize facebook and stuff was like only 10 years ago yeah they think it's been here forever right it hasn't and people people that do this stuff were like reading in the back of vangoria magazine or toy shop news looking for things and and then you'd see the little little people with their Custom figures like that clay guy uh-huh. that would go around back in the late nineties and stuff. But anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go yeah, ahead. Yeah. So no, I uh, so like I just took that passion that I had for toys and just started making things. And there was a couple years where I was just showing them locally. I'd make something, and it it started off as them just being like one of a kind, one off creations. Where I would take, you know. 15 different pieces, little plastic pieces and different parts from action figures and mash them together with clay and Sculpey and make these weird creature creation things that you could look at them and you'd see like, wow, that's like a, you know, a beast man head. and that, But that's like a Wookiee arm and that's like this gun from this toy. And there's like, what's that belt and what's this leg thing? And you just would, you'd kind of, you'd look at it and you'd see something, but then at the same time, it'd be like something completely new. And um, I was making those, and then I would put them in gallery shows around the Rockford area, and that was kind of the extent of it. And they were, a few of them had sold, and um, I they I'm, uh, it all boils down to me making things that I love. I make them for myself. Everything that I make, and I have made for the last 10, 12 years, is stuff that I, I love. So I was making these, and as they were selling, I was like, God damn it, like, that's cool that I just got like 40, 50 bucks for this thing. 
but now I want to remake it because I want one for myself to put on my shelf. Yeah. And uh, a friend of mine, and I, so I was doing that and rebuying all these parts to make these things over again as they would sell. And a friend of mine was like, you know, you could just make a mold of it and make a mul- and then you could make multiples of them and yeah. sell them. Just keep your original or keep your one that's your favorite one or whatever, but then make multiples to sell and you could sell them and people could buy them. You could, you know, it wouldn't be this remaking process all yes. the time. And that kind of spawned the idea of making molds of my creations and then making castings and painting them and kind of mass producing them. And it's yeah. just bumped up throughout the years into a full-time job, you know. Yeah, you're making making toys full-time in Rockford, Illinois. Yeah. That's a, that's a cool thing to and be the, doing. The thing is, is like the factory I worked at, Leading Edge Hydraulics, that was the old Nylant factory. Yes. Because Nylant toys yes. are made yep. in Rockford. Yep. So like that, I was there in the like Nylant building making toys in my own, like started yeah. my own toy company in like a toy company around, like see that sign over there? Mm-hmm. That's the bat, like the rest sign from the restroom, like the okay. break room. I stole that like my last day and that had been there since it yeah. was Nylant. All right. <laughs> yeah. Good. Yeah. So uh, tell me a little bit about your creations um so a lot it started off as just like you know like i i was making these like really detailed kind of figures initially that were 15 20 different parts and pieces from figures and then i can grab them real quick if you want so like this is like what i was was making like okay stuff like that and right. so, I mean, we can put a picture. I'll, I'll do. Yeah, I'll put a picture up. But I'm, you know what? I'll put that as the. I'll put that up as the graphic, unless you want a uh, star killer, probably. Star but, killer. Um, okay. But that's like what I was making, and so stuff okay. like that. That's like twenty, twenty-five different pieces of a, of different toys to make that a uh, thing. So when I tried to make a mold of that initially, like my mold making skills weren't up to par with something like that. Like nowadays, I could make this. Back then, I couldn't. So yeah. I had to kind of like dumb it down, way down, until I could learn how to make molds better. Because it is, it's like an art to, to make molds. It was like a new thing that I was introducing into my, I guess, artistic arsenal of things that I could do. And I had to really kind of step it back and be like, okay, I just need to make these as simple as possible. How, how did you get into working with the mediums? Um, like... Did you just use... like this initially? Yeah. yeah. Um, How did you? I, you know, I was always good at art, I suppose, and did took art classes in in high school, and I would have you know two or three different art classes and stuff, and uh, I was always really good, but I I never took it as seriously as I probably should have, and um, or pursued it. I, you know, my art teachers would be like, "You should pursue this. You could probably get scholarships, so on and so forth," but I was always more interested in partying and girls and yeah. stuff like that so um as i got older and when i started having kids it was more of a means for me to do something with my hands that was relaxing to me in my spare time and i mean it's i'm just self-taught there's really okay. no real okay. training that i i never have learned how to i've never taken a course in sculpting or mold making or casting or anything like that it's just and this is there really wasn't any tutorials online it was just all trial and error until i really figured it out and uh yeah now it's like i could do this all in my sleep 
You and know. Uh, it's, excuse me, the uh, garage kit was big in the late 80s mm-hmm. and early 90s, and the mold making, and I know a little bit about the silicone and the cottage cheese holders and yep. pouring it in there and making it, and then you got to clean everything up, and I just wondered how you came about being able to do this stuff. Yeah, just all own. trial and error, okay. all of it. I never... I just kind of taught myself how to do all of it, you know, as, as like, uh, I had to, it was like, if I didn't want to keep recreating the things over and over, um, I had to learn how, and it was a lot of time spent and money spent, um, wasting silicone and trying to figure it out until I did. And, you know, like I said, now I can just do it in my sleep. Like I can make something that is you know, rivals or is superior to something that a toy company yes. can make and do it kind of just, you know, it's not like I'm to say farting around, but it's like, I, you know, I can just do, I just do it. And it, it's like that 10,000 hours type thing. Yeah. You know, once you've done something for so long, you become like a master at it. Yes. And I think, you know, I've kind of reached that level that I, I can do it and do it far better than, than most. And I don't have to put much thought and effort in. I mean, thought into it there's a lot of effort but it's done you know without much thought that's like the guy says you're not paying for the 30 minutes it took me to make the picture you're paying for the thousands of hours it took me to be able to make the picture in 30 minutes 100 percent. yes 100 yeah. percent. okay 100 percent. so tell me what how did this grow what's your company how did we go from rockford to worldwide company all right, so I I guess I was, and this is like maybe 11 years ago or so, I was trying to come up, and this is right when I was learning to make the molds. I was like, God, I need to like make some kind of Facebook page or something and start advertising some of the things I'm making or you know, start posting these things online. And I needed like a brand name, I suppose. And I was trying to think of like different companies and ways that I could like play off of like vintage toy companies. And I was just, and I had no skill in Photoshop or Illustrator. Now I do have tons, but at the time I had zero. And I was just in MS Paint, and yep. I had the Kenner logo, and I just started moving pixels around until yes. I came up with Killer. Yeah. And I thought it was cool. You know, I come from like, you know, uh, I guess like a, I had like a skateboarding kind of mentality of being like wow, that's killer, bro, or okay. whatever, you know? And I thought it would be, like, a syn- like synonymous with, like, this being awesome instead of, uh, you know, kind of a self-deprecating thing, which at the time I had found out there was another toy maker named the Suck Lord also okay. making toys in New York City. And it was kind of me and him were, like, the two dudes who kind of have been the godfathers or you know of this resin bootleg action figure thing and i figured as i was posting these things people were like comparing oh that looks like a suck lord thing and i was like well if i want to get away (laughs) from that i need to do everything opposite so he's gonna be suck and suck suckadelic and i'm gonna be killer like my stuff's gonna be the best my stuff's gonna be as high quality as it can be and i'm gonna strive for it to be as high quality as i can be not some chinatown bootleg thing that you know people look at it and wonder why is this thing yeah a hundred dollars i want people to get the things and be like holy shit this thing should be two hundred dollars you know yeah so 
I uh, I guess that answer is like how I came up with the killer name, but I uh, just I became worldwide by just starting to post the things online and and on the internet kind of spread it out and um, initially Star Wars collecting groups around the world started like seeing my things. There's always been like a real heavy Star Wars influence on what I'm doing and uh, I would parody Star Wars a lot. I, I saw the. Uh... The uh, beer can R2D2. Yeah. That type of thing. I've done art and uh, <laughs> coffee cups. I saw the Brillo. Cups. I saw the Brillo. Brillo bots. The Brillo bots. Yeah. Yeah, I've done spray can R2D2s, coffee cups, WD40 beer cans, coffee, yeah. coffee cups, all different types of stuff. Just, I, you know, I think it's funny and stuff. And um, so these Star Wars collecting groups around the world were like sharing my photos and, you know, kind of. I guess spreading it out further than I could have done by myself. And I like woke up one morning and had like hundreds of notifications with all these people from Singapore that were like reposting my stuff and talking about my stuff. And I was like, what the fuck? Like I'm like famous in Singapore or something. And then they commissioned this group, like commissioned me to make a figure for them. And that was like the first time I was like doing something and being paid like a substantial amount of money um, to make a bunch of figures and instead of just making them and hoping that they would sell and they they commissioned me to make these figures and um, I made these figures for the 3D release of Phantom Menace mm-hmm. I think is what it was and um, so I don't know how many years ago that was maybe eight nine years ago Phantom Menace when it came out in 3D yeah, okay. in the theaters. Okay. I was getting confused on the yeah. Clone Wars. Yeah, no, yeah. it was with Phantom. They tried to do like a 3D thing, and they released it in 3D. Okay. And it was like a big deal, I suppose. But it, they never followed through with any of the other movies, so it must have been a failure. I'm not sure. But I did that for them to to like release at the debut of the movie in Singapore. They had like some big event. And um, so that kind of, t- you know spread it out i guess a little more like worldwide and then i just kind of it just i've just kept the ball rolling ever since yeah and um was making things and posting them online and then people would buy them and then that would kind of finance the next project and i was still working at the factory and um slowly but surely it got to where i would post a picture online and i'd be working at the machine and i'd be like holy shit I just made like twelve hundred dollars yeah. in forty five minutes. What am I doing here? And they my don't, no. <laughs> my wife and my wife encouraged me to be like she was like, think about like if you focused all your time and effort into what you're doing and not just staying up all night doing this every night and being exhausted every day and working on stuff during your lunch break at work, which is what I was doing. Yeah. I would every waking moment that I had not spent with my young children and at work was done working on these toys and um it really was a labor a labor of love back then and i was doing it and trying to build something that not a lot of people were like embracing at the time it was like not today it's like you show somebody like a parody to action figure or some pop culture thing nine times out of ten they're gonna be like oh yeah i saw something like that online yeah Ten years ago, that wasn't the case. Like, nobody knew what the fuck it was at all. 
So it was a real hard sell kind of back then to be like, this is this thing that I made, and it's this amount of money because X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Not some, to- and a lot of people would be like, or I mean, I could just go buy the toy at Target or Walmart. I mean, I, they couldn't like rationalize it being yeah. like a piece of art and that it's made by somebody's hands and somebody designed it and all that. So it took a lot of years of building uh, it to get to be where it is now. Well, and- not to interrupt you, but I went to Wizard World back in 98. It was the best Wizard World I ever went to. But that's another story for another time. But I was at a place that was selling Gotcha Men figures or Battle of the Planets figures. Mm-hmm. And while I was there, some guy had four of these, like, it was Captain America, kind of like in long underwear from mm-hmm. China stuff. And I'm like, why is this guy paying so much for this? And, you know, as things go by, or time goes by, that was 98, so mm-hmm. now it's 2018. But, you know, you started seeing, you started seeing the humor and seeing some of the things yeah. that you don't see when you're in your mid-twenties worrying about getting that Mark figure for right. your collection. Right. But but anyway, I just wanted to throw that in there yeah. for people that don't know about the bootleg figures that are like a Power Ranger and a Spider-Man outfit on a Batman card type thing. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah. like right there. Yeah. I mean, they're... Well, I did right behind me. I didn't yeah. even notice it. Yeah, <laughs> right. everywhere. I mean, and it, it, like, I was, I've always been big into collecting action figures and a lot of like the inspiration for what i do came from like bootleg star wars toys i have gotten to the point where i had like every like kind of grail figure that i would want like afa graded boba fett's carded loose every boba fett every variation of boba fett carded loose variants I mean, I have so much stuff, like you said. I mean, there's the, more the Boba bathroom. Fett's in my yeah. bathroom than most people have in their old collection. Yeah. And they're just above my toilet in a little kind of, like, yeah. you know, shelf. And then in the back room, there's totes, like, filled with carded action figures that I just can't display and I don't want to get covered in dust. And it's just, you know, so it's like I have I have so many things that I started collecting kind of outside-of-the-box things. And that's I started getting Mexican bootlegs, Polish bootlegs, uh, Brazilian bootlegs, model trim figures. I've stumbled onto these Brazilian-led Star Wars figures called model trim. Mm -hmm. And the first series of them are 100% Star Wars bootleg rip-off figures. They are an exact copy of a vintage Star Wars figure, but they're made of lead, real crudely painted in, like, enamel paint. And... Lucasfilms gave them a cease and desist for them to stop doing it. Mm-hmm. So then, in, in the the second series of those figures, they took Star Wars figures as bases and then sculpted all these different parts onto them and made like these weird sci-fi looking figures that you look at it and it's like, wow, that does look like a Leia, but you can see that it's it looks like something completely different, like a weird layer from a different universe. Yeah. Like a, a, there was like another dimension and Star Wars was like <laughs> in a different world in a different far, far away. Further, like, further away. Yeah. It'd be like this, <laughs> but it, you can see the resemblance. So they, they kind of did that to avoid any copyright issues. And they did that with all the figures, all the characters. So there's like this weird guy who looks like Ben Kenobi but he's not, and he's got like a chin strap beard instead of like a regular beard, and he's got like a weird medallion on his neck, and he's got like a different laser sword and like a different, they're different colors and just really weird, obscure things. 
and I saw those and was like, God, that's cool. Like, I should do something like that. And that's kind of, I started creating my own characters, kind of using parts and sculptings onto them and making different things. And, uh, yeah, that's, I mean, that's kind of where Phantom Starkiller came from, was like that mentality of like taking some things and like introducing them into different, into like making something that resembled something, but it was like, it looks like it could be like, you know, all these different things, but it's, and it looks like it could be a figure from that time period, but it's not, you know. Brazil, on a different topic, Brazil is known for its stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Custom, Mm -hmm. custom things that they do in Brazil. And you don't want to get caught with a Brazilian bootleg, if you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, back to the... Let's, uh, I want to explain something. This guy has stuff from back when I was a kid, all throughout his place. I mean, stuff that would have been forgot about except in my crazy mind. Like this Forgotten Worlds figure that... They were bendy figures that came with all this stuff. And why don't we get into a little bit about how you have all this older stuff that somebody... I'm, You know, I'm older than you, but you're in, you have all the stuff that I had when I was a kid. And how it helped start the stuff. So, as I was... When I was younger, my grandmother was like a garage sale addict i suppose like her and her friend would go garage selling every day of the summer for you know until she could no longer walk basically she was just garage sale queen and she would pick up toys for me and my brother to play with at her house during the summer and i grew up i was born in 85 so i like missed the star wars like hype i suppose like it had started dying down by the time i was conscious enough to be playing with toys yeah but all the people who had those toys their mothers were selling them at garage sales at that time so she started just buying these figures for me and you know she kind of took the like collect them all all 96 like almost literally as like a challenge and she started just buying all this stuff and he-man figures i mean i i watched he-man with my brother um and, you know, all the other stuff, G.I. Joe, but it was like the Star Wars figures and other weird, obscure figures that my grandmother was buying for me. And, uh, I mean, that kind of started it with me wanting to have, like, all these different older figures and um, going to garage sales with her and um, just stuff like that. And there was, like, an antique mall that was, like, within bike riding distance from her house. Mm-hmm. On um, East State, if you remember, remember by the cir- the one by Circuit City across the street. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, we would ride our bikes there, and I would literally spend my whole summer like going through these giant antique malls mm-hmm. and just looking at everything that was in there. And you know, she'd give us five bucks or something to spend, and we'd be gone all day, kind of, I guess, out of her hair or yeah. whatever. And uh, I would, so I was like doing stuff that like. I guess I enjoy now, but as like a 12 year old kid, yeah. I was like looking at all this old stuff from the seventies and eighties, sixties, seventies. When I was a kid, there was a, uh, there were two nostalgia stores for mm-hmm. lack of a better term. And I go in and I, you know, buy the old comics because yep. that's what I was into back mm-hmm. in 84, 85. I was buying comics and I'd be, I've never seen this before for a dime. I'm taking it home. It was, uh, 
turned out to be my favorite character of all time, uh, Morbius, oh, living yeah. vampire. Yeah, uh, that's where I first doing the same type of thing. Yeah, was doing that stuff. So I, I, I appreciate that story yeah. quite, quite a bit. Yeah. that's how we do things. That's right. how things happen. Yeah. So. so that's how it kind of started, where I got this love for all this stuff that is kind of like outside of my generation. Yes. And I have a real deep appreciation for all of it and yeah. have collected it yes. and hoarded it. I mean, we're sitting around. Yeah, probably I, like I, I am having such a hard time 3, talking 000, to you because everything 000. is just like, oh, there's a yeah. War Duke. Yeah, oh, there's yeah. like, like, like 4,000 action figures yeah. just in this room, if not more. But, in, in but let me explain. Room. We're yeah. not like walking on them on the floor. They're all Yeah, they're all no, displayed. they're all like displayed on <laughs> shelves and stuff, but they're yeah. just everywhere. And... uh yeah, it's just I just love this stuff, and it's like influenced my art, you know. And uh, you know, I like to make figures that look like they were made in the late seventies. Yes, you know. Well, they they do. Yeah, they, they they've got that charm. And you know, we were talking a little bit before about how I was talking about the GI Joes. I was like in a weird transition period because of the. I think they would have been. I think it still would have been G.I. Joe if it wasn't for that petroleum thing that made them shrink down to mm-hmm. it. But uh, they made figure that one, who's the green guy right there? That green lime that, that ultra guy? fluorescent green guy. That's like just some parachute thing. Yeah, that's what I, mm-hmm. I they used to have. And I those are the kind of figures I pick up at the garage sale. They'd mm-hmm. make figures like, uh, what was the name of the company that made all their war guys look like John Wayne Oh, from the 60s? You know, uh, well, anyway, they make six inch uh, figures and they made like Batman and Robin and all the superheroes mm-hmm. like that about six inches and they molded them in those colors. And that's just the kind Marks. of stuff. Marks. Yes. Yeah. Marks figures. Yeah. They made Mr. Robot guy or whatever. Yeah. But uh, those are some of the things that I remember that I liked that I'd like to go back and see and you just did it and started making your own stuff yeah so let's talk about phantom star killer okay. for a little bit who is he the man What's of the hour doing? so yes. i uh when I, I got invited to be part of san diego comic-con 2012 i think it was 12 or 13 by uh now a dear friend of mine dove kelmer of dke toys and uh he has a booth at san diego comic-con he's kind of like a curator of uh, designer toys, and at the time, at I mean, it's still a real high honor, I suppose, to be working with him and um, co- collaboratively. And um, he invited me, and at the time, his booth was like Ron English and Frank Kozik, and like all these other uh, Skinner. If you're familiar with him, he's like a psychedelic artist. But there was like all these guys that were he was hosting at his booth. And he asked me to make something for him, and he, I was like, God, I gotta, kind of like, and now his whole booth. At the time, it was like, you know, maybe like one or two like bootleg action figures and all these other like designer toys and fine art. Now his whole booth is resin action figure, like bootleg action figures. Every single piece yeah. is he just kind of curates, almost like a gallery experience of these different toys and has it at New York Comic Con, San Diego Comic Con, the bigger Comic Cons. And he, you know, his booth's been featured on uh, 
tested and all these, you know, uh, uh, geeked and, or, you know, all these websites, the, the one that, uh, what's his name from Talking Dead, Chris Hardwick, the Nerdist, his website, okay. like yeah. they, they'll feature his booth every yeah. year in uh, Adam Savage's tested website. They like will feature him and stuff. Because every year it's like a different kind of gallery experience of all these bootleg toys that are handmade. So he, but at the time it was just like me and uh, the Suck Lord, who is like another artist, like I explained. But it would be like me and him have these figures at these shows, and um, he asked me to make something, and I was like, God, I gotta like go big or go home, or kind of like make something that I think, you know, would is you know my masterpiece, I guess at the time, and. Um, I kind of like took the mentality of like what George Lucas did where he's like creating these characters, but he's taking influence from all these things that inspired him. Buck Rogers, Westerns, you know, samurai, all these different Roman Greek mythology, all these different things that influenced, you know, influenced him as a child and to make these characters in this story. And, um, I just did that with what was relevant to my life. Star Wars, He-Man, Disney villains, sci-fi knockoff toys, like just all these weird things that I thought if I threw them in a blender and I wanted to make something that was like, make something that like you, if I look at it, it's like, this is me, like in a, in a thing, things that I love in a, in a object. So I just made like this hooded Grim Reaper type Sith kind of Jedi cosmic ghoul warrior dude. And, you know, I just like painted him these real like bright colors. And I did kind of, you know, what research to like colors that like the eye like is drawn to and stuff like that. And I made him orange, bright orange and bright green and gave him a light sword and put a thing on his chest, like a chest box that has lights on it. And just made this like thing that I thought kicked ass, you know? And a lot of it was like, you know, people a lot of times look at it and they're like, it's like Skeletor and Darth Vader, like had a baby or something. And it's, (laughs) to me, it was like not really Skeletor so much. It was more, um, the Horn King from the Black Cauldron. I always thought that was like the most metal fucking Disney yeah. movie of all time. And I was like, you're right. I was like, give that <laughs> right. dude a lightsaber. Like what would happen yeah. if that dude was in star Wars and he was like a villain. And that's more of what it was, was like the Horn King. But like in a star Wars, sci-fi movie, you know, if it was like, he was a character in like battle for the stars or something like that. Son- you know, yeah, do you ever use when you were a kid? Did you ever use your uh, figures for other things other 100%. than what they were? Okay, 100%. yeah, yeah, that's like my yeah, old... that's that's what. Okay, a lot of it was spent doing that because, like, initially when I started getting Star Wars figures, I had no idea what they were. Like, nobody was like, "Oh, that's a Star Wars figure." Yeah, it wasn't until one night I was at a Halloween party, which had just passed. So this is maybe. 30 years ago, you know, last week, let's say, I was at this Halloween party, a family-like Halloween party, and 
and my aunt had hosted and all of her like friends were there and somebody had dressed up as like a Star Wars character and uh they might have even been Darth Vader, I'm not sure, but I was like what like mesmerized by this this person in this costume and my dad was like I, he was like when we get home I'll like I'll show you what this is or you know st- show you Star Wars and I was like all right you know just yeah. this like little kid 7 5 7 years old and uh we went home and watched Empire Strikes Back and it like made such a huge impact on me and then then I was aware of like what these toys that I had in my toy box were like yeah. cuz I didn't know it'd be like I would just have this weird toy that i would play with with all my gi joe guys because they were the same scale you know and it'd be like boba fett would be like this weird kind of soldier guy that i just didn't know what it was he just looked aesthetically pleasing and cool to me and he always looked different but it was like why doesn't he have like he can't bend his arms or his knees or anything he move his waist but it was like he's still cool and uh so it just made a huge impact on me and um for 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 the record boba fett is the coolest guy. In oh, 100% Wars. he is. Okay, but back to your story. Yeah, so it was just, in. that was kind of like what, well, for with Starkiller, I, I'll get off trust subject, but he, uh, it was just like, I wanted to make something that I thought was really, really cool. And uh, it, 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 I went to that show and debuted it, and it was like one of the only things at that booth that year that like, that sold out, which yeah. I was like shocked by. Like, I didn't get there, like, I think I got there on like Friday to the show because um, I flew up to San Diego for the convention and um, it opened up on like Wednesday for preview night. And I think maybe I got there like Thursday or maybe Friday, it was, I, but I know it, I like wasn't there for preview night and they sold out on preview night. So like I didn't even get to see like the hype of them being oh. bought. But when I got there, he was like, oh, yeah, all your stuff sold. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, I didn't think it was going to be like that. I was like, this is nuts. And um, that year, Super 7 had debuted their alien figures, like their long-lost prototype early bird package reaction figures. It was okay. like the first time that Super 7 and Funko had teamed up to make reaction. For For people that don't know, Super 7 is kind of a – retro action figure company that remakes uh he-man figures and they've started making little star wars figures for lack of a better term because i don't know if everybody yeah there's there's super seven a san francisco based toy company that um is is run by a, a dude named brian flynn who came from like the japanese sofubi like soft vinyl world and had a magazine called Super 7 that was just highlighting the culture of Japanese vinyl figures. And he turned it into like a, a toy company that made their own toys. And they st- hooked up with Funko and started making this line called Reaction, which is three and three quarter inch vintage style action figures. So it was basically the same thing I was doing, but they were doing it on... A larger scale and they had teamed up with Funko so they had all Funko's licenses to make all the pop culture things that you could ever think of they started with Alien though and that year they had came out with this early bird pack which is just like they did with the Star Wars figures so at the show you were buying a certificate for 50 bucks let's say and then it was like a guarantee that when the figures were made 
that you would they would send them to you in the mail and you would get I think it was like a it was like a prototype test shot blue alien and and uh Ripley or something like that. It was like two figures that came in a white box that were like rejected, stamped mm-hmm. on them and they were like fake yeah samples that were that but they were brand new and it was supposedly like based on a sculpt of an alien figure that that Kenner was supposed to make back in 78 but they didn't because the the giant figure was pulled because of how it scared kids i remember that figure so there was supposed to be a three and three quarter inch line supposedly but it but it never happened super seven made their own version and did that and so they debuted that 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 same comic con and they were like two booths away from dke where i was and brian flynn who's the ceo um, of the company, he walked over and was like, "This thing is freaking awesome about Starkiller." And I think they kept one of them. I think Dove, the guy who ran the booth at DKE, he kept one like on display that he bought himself to keep. So it was like still sitting there, even though it was sold out. And um, Brian walked over and was like, "This thing's freaking awesome! Like, what's this thing?" And Dove was like. The guy who made it's right here. He's telling about it, Peter. And I was like, like, this is the thing I made, Phantom Star Killer. You know, just like yeah. starstruck by this guy, Brian Flynn, who I knew who he was, and he was running this toy company that basically does exactly what I what like I do, but they're doing it like on this large scale with all these properties, and they at the time they hadn't done all the different licenses, but it was just. It was like, I was just starstruck and that he was saying that what I did was the awesomest thing at the show and this and that. And we kind of became friends after that. And um, flash forward like a couple years later, I I just never, I guess I never let the figure die. Like it wasn't like, most things I'll make something and make it one time and then once the addition of 25 or 50 or whatever sells, I move on to the next thing and I've, I've already made the next thing and I'm kind of always just chasing something else. Starkiller wasn't that way. It was like something that I made, and then I always, every year, was coming out with something new, whether it okay. be a minifigure, a Mego figure, a, a, a revamped version of him. I made another three and three-quarter inch, like, updated version, kind of based on, like, what G.I. Joe did. You know, it was like, yeah. they'd come out with Storm Shadow, and then, the, and then three years later, there'd be like a new version. Like yeah. he changed his clothes or whatever. And it was just a different thing. So I was like, I grew up with G.I. Joe. So I was kind of like, what would he look like if now with the skills I've acquired in two or three years, what would he look like now? Like I'll make another version of it. Yeah. And I did that. And then a skateboard company. Yeah, I saw that. Um, That's beautiful. They licensed the character from me Yeah, and um, made a skateboard. And then those were successful, and then I'd made another versions. I've just kind of like never let it die, and always was pumping it to the fans who follow me and follow my work. That this Star Killer thing, and throughout this time, Brian Flynn of Super Seven was seeing that there was like this kind of hype and thing around Star Killer, and people were always wanting it, and I never stopped messing with it and making things of him. And he was like, you know, we should make a version of that. Would like, would you be into making a reaction figure of Starkiller? And um, 
I was like, hell yeah. Like, I'd love to. And he's like, let's talk. You know, we'll talk about it. And that was maybe like four years ago that that conversation happened. And um, we would like, I'd see him at a convention and he'd be like, we need to do this. Like, let's, and it just kind of, we just kind of talked about it for maybe like two years. Like what, how we could do it, when we should do it or, you know, but it wasn't, the ball never really got rolling. And, um, then I think we saw each other at like designer con, which is in pass. It was in Pasadena now in Anaheim. Um, and he was like, what's your phone number? Like when we get home, when the show's over and you get back home, give me a call. We'll, we'll gonna, we gotta do this. Like this is something that we need to do. And, um, I was like, okay. And then I came home and we had a conversation about doing it. And initially they, they have this super seven has this series called the worst and it's their like toy line. That's kind of essentially like their own characters that are, kind of like what i do you know like kind of what star killer is it's like mm-hmm. you can tell it's got inspiration from certain things but it's like an amalgamation of of things to make a new thing and that's what the worst is of theirs it's like you know these characters that they've made that are you can see it and you're like yeah that looks cool that's like it's the same thing basically is what i was doing and um they, he was like we could have it be part of the worst what do you think of that you know um <laughs> it could be he could be part of the worst series too or you could do your own thing and it could be like Phantom Star Killer, Killer Bootlegs thing. Which, uh, if it was going to be the part of the worst, um, he he was like, we would buy the rights of the character and then it would be Phantom Star Killer, but it would be like our thing then. And I was like, he's like, or it could be your thing. And, um, and, uh, it's just a Phantom Star thing and it's killer bootlegs. And um, I was like, I'll do that, obviously. Uh, <laughs> I want it to still be my thing. Um, whether it was going to be successful or not, who knew? It was kind of like a gamble that they were taking and, and I was taking as well. Because it's like I could have, I suppose, sold the rights to the character. Um, and at the time, Stupid Buddy Studios, which is Seth Green's company that okay. makes Robot Chicken they had like acquired the rights to the worst and they were initially going to make a cartoon and all this other stuff with it. And, um, he was like, it could be part of a Saturday morning style cartoon, you know, uh, robot chicken could do whatever they want with it. It would be like them paying me for the character, um, stupid buddy. And, um, it was kind of like, do I do that? Do I not want to do that? Could it could be something so much bigger? Uh, and then I just get like a payday or do I keep it as my thing and I own the rights to him. And hopefully the, the people that follow me and, and that are behind me will propel this thing and make it something, I guess. And, uh, I decided to keep it as my own thing and that I could develop it further and, you know, whatever. And, um, uh, it went on, I guess to be, you know, a lot of people say it's like the best action figure you know, ever, I guess, made. It's it's kind of, like, gotten much bigger than I ever thought it could be. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that are going on that that I have, like, I'm trying to iron out um, that could make it 
like so much bigger. It's like the people Keep it under your hat. The people I the people I've talked to like in the last like maybe several months and some of the meetings I've gotten because of this character are like things I would never have fathomed. And uh you know that's thanks to Super 7 and and uh you know myself I guess and just being persevering with this character and kind of never letting it go I suppose and just trying to build the mythology and um you know we had the first version of him was a new york comic-con exclusive and that sold out and then we did the glow in the dark version that sold out then we did one that was colored like the lich king i think uh from adventure time which had just come out around that time that i was creating the character and i was like god this it was there's like all these inspirations that I had for him, and he was one of them, kind of. Well, I, w- I want to talk a little bit about it because you're right. It took inspiration from other things, but it's a whole different. It's a whole different character, a whole different direction. It's not yeah, not a bunch of baggage carrying. You know, yeah. with like it has to somehow it has to connect to the timeline of this comic book. Or yeah, no, it has to touch Luke Skywalker's old lights. Say you don't have to do any of that. It's your yeah. own thing. You can do what you want with it and take it in a direction that nobody's ever seen before. Right. And uh, yeah, but it's just so I I colored some of the versions up based on things that. I guess inspired me when I was creating it. So I did like the the Horn King version, which was obviously on the Horn King from the Black Cauldron. And then, either way, there was five initial versions that Super 7 put out, five different colorways, and all of them sold out, which, you know, was kind of shocking because some of the things that they have that Super 7 puts out that are tied to major licenses sometimes don't sell out. Yeah. And... For a figure to sell near, you know, like four thousand figures, is like a pretty crazy accomplishment. A lot of, uh, you know, like high end designer toys and you know, toys in general don't do those kind of numbers unless it's like a Star Wars toy or something like that. But something that has no property tied to it at all and is just this thing that people think looks cool, it's kind of unheard of. That's what I was talking about. The companies are getting away, you know, back in the 70s and 80s, they just put out something like Warriors of the World. Yeah. It had nothing to do with anything. Right. And people would look at it and buy it because it looked cool. But yeah. now everything has to have a license, has to yeah. be hooked up. Yeah. Mass, produc- mass production toys all have licenses. It's all the same thing. Yeah. You go into one store, they might have one, uh, the one, uh, one per box figure that looks a little bit different than the other ones, but... Right. But anyway, that's what I'm getting at. Yeah. It's, it's good that you're doing this to give some people a different outlet for their... Right, and that's what it seems like a lot stuff. of people vibe with more. And that's why it's become so popular and that a lot of people see it and they, you know, it's like it is cool. And it they look at it and it, it hits like all these different things in their head that remind them of certain things, you know, that they love. But it's something created, like unique in itself and um that was kind of the goal i suppose you know it's like that it was something that that i loved and things that i love and when i looked at it it spoke to me but it just so happens that you know i i was like raised on all these things that that 
everybody loves that are, you know, so it's like I grew up with all this stuff and it kind of all tied into this thing that I made and, you know, um, yeah, so it, it's just been really cool that it, it happened the way it did and that it, it all has been so successful. Um, we're doing some more colorways of him, Super 7, that should be coming out in 2020. We're releasing the next character, uh, Draco Knuckle Duster, which is also in that line. Uh, he's like, was the follow up to Phantom Star Killer um, that I did at like San Diego Comic Con, I think the next year, maybe. Um, or maybe two years later, I did. And he's like kind of the same. It was like the same idea. You know, it was like you look at it and you. Yeah, it was this. I used the same formula for him. And it's okay. another thing that I never let go you know it was like i always every year was coming out with some other version of him or some you know different toy style you know whether it be a mini figure or a three and three quarter inch or a 5.5 inch um yeah it's like so it's kind of just this world building that i've done and it's wild that like i i do a lot of things that are heavily um you know playoff pop culture like last night i or last night i did like a release of a michael myers yes figure. yeah and uh it's there's no uh pun or anything funny or mashup about it it's michael myers and um I've done figures that are like a mashup, like the E-Walking Dead. It's <laughs> the Walking yeah, Dead in right. Star Wars, you know, or these things that are rely really heavily on pop culture and people's love for the nostalgia of those brands and properties. But it's the things that I've created myself that have risen to the top to be the most popular things I make, which are Phantom Starkiller and Draco Knuckle Duster. So that's kind of a testament to how cool these characters are and that there is something about them that people really identify with and that they um you gravitate towards more than the things that i'm directly i guess ripping off and making yeah. bootleg things of now i have one final question what does someone who has all the time making cool stuff do for hobbies? Uh, for hobbies, I've in the last few years gotten into latex masks, Halloween masks. I'll say. Yeah. You're the first person I know that knew who Death Studios was. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I can say. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I, uh, and that kind of started, I guess, with Starkiller, too. Like, um, several years ago, um, Justin Mabry, who's the one of the owners of Trick or Treat Studios, made a Phantom Star Killer mask for a like a charity event I was having, and um, my nephew, my sister's son had had cancer, which is in remission now. But at the time, when he first got like diagnosed, um, a lot of people that are in like the designer toy community like rose up and started donating stuff for me to auction off. That's that's one of the good things about being in a tight knit community, niche, a niche group with yeah. not like big conglomerates trying to step in. 
and all these people started donating things to me to auction off to give the money to my sister's GoFundMe campaign. And um, we raised like four or $5,000. But the one thing that uh, Justin uh, donated was that uh, Phantom Starkiller latex mask. And he's a world-renowned mask maker. He's like the top Michael Myers mask sculptor in the world. He worked on the Halloween 2018 film, was one of the guys who created collaboratively created the mask for the Halloween 2018 movie. He's pretty much one of the best mask sculptors in the world. And he donated a mask of Phantom Starkiller to the cause. And I, when I flew out to California for, it was for designer con or San Diego Comic con or something. I, uh, flew up to San Francisco and went to Trick or Treat Studios headquarters to pick the mask up and to take a tour of the facilities. And um, he gave me the mask and um, I went home and, I mean, I was like in awe of everything that was going on there. I mean, it was, you know, like... It looked like Silver Shamrock in there? Yeah, I was, was going to say, it was kind <laughs> of like Silver Shamrock, like just all the masks, all the sculptures and stuff that he had in his office that I was seeing all the things they'd made over the, the span of their, I guess, existence as trick or treat studios, all the history of masks that they had, Don Post stuff, Top Stone stuff, all these just cool masks that I remember seeing as a child. And, uh, you know, the, this party store here locally in Rockford called Partyland that had all these be something studios masks and Don post masks. Like they were just a walls of masks. And I would go there around Halloween time when I was a kid and I just was, would stare at these masks and a lot of them made a real big impact on me. And, um, you know, the fa- the fang face, fang face, you showed me the one from when fang I was face a kid. was one. And, um, unleashed wickedness was one that had a lot to do with, you know, I guess inspiring me to, take things and make things that I like, you know, whether it be like Starkiller and Grim Reapers and just this, this, this stuff that I like. So when I went there, I was just, uh, in shock of, of how cool it was. And I, I came home, auctioned the mask. Some guy bought it. He bought like, uh, that and a fan, like one of each Phantom Starkiller figure I'd made up until the time it was like this big prize pack. And, um, he was a friend of mine and uh he had all this stuff for a couple of years and then he had like fallen on kind of hard times and was like hey do you are you have any interest in buying this mask back or you know he had just because he knew it was like i love the character he's like do you know any of your fans that would want to buy it and i instantly jumped on it yeah and was like i'll buy it and uh so i bought the mask back and uh then all the money i paid him uh He's he's donated half of it, I guess, to some charity as well, St. Jude's or something. Um, and I ended up getting the mask back. But that kind of started like this, I guess, a, not addiction, I suppose, but like just me having masks was like me getting masks and converting them into Phantom Star Killers and then just getting other masks. And then I would go to, went, started going to Mask Fest and meeting mask makers. And a lot of them knew who Phantom Star Killer was. 
just by a kind of how some scenes like overlap into each other. A lot of guys who make masks are also into toys, and so I've become friends with a lot of like the premier yeah. mask makers around the world, and doing trades with them, and just I mean it's just kind of turned into where I I have like fifty masks, yeah, like high end yeah, masks. Well, I I enjoy them. <laughs> yeah, I do too, and it's like my hobby, I suppose. I, I have a couple, but not this many. <laughs> and I've, I've uh, started painting them and i this year i released my own mask of of star killer like an official one um you know there's plans to work on something with trick-or-treat studios to make like an officially licensed phantom star killer mask uh for mass production that people would be able to buy you know for 50 60 bucks or something and uh so yeah there's there's a lot of room for stuff to do within the mask world as well um as it being a big passion of mine and uh halloween being a you know something that i'm very passionate about as well so me too i'd like to let everybody know he has some very cool halloween decorations out on his windows the beastly beastly is that how you say it the beastly company the yeah it was Pretty good, pretty good. So why don't you tell everybody how to get a hold of you and your websites and stuff. All right. So you can go to killerbootlegs.com, and that's got like a, uh, you know, a gallery of a lot of the stuff I've made over the last couple of years um, that I'm most proud of. It's got links to my store and uh, a podcast that I do myself called the Resin Cast Podcast where I interview guys – that have come up after me in the resin bootleg scene and uh, talk to them about their inspirations and the stuff that inspired them, kind of like we've been talking about the last hour. Um, and then you can go to uh, phantomstarkiller.com, which is a new site I launched that um, will have more Phantom Star Killer focused stuff. We just did a Halloween merch drop over there. Um, yeah, Instagram at Killer Bootlegs, one word. Twitter at Killer Bootlegs or uh, Phantom Star Kill is the Phantom Star Killer official page. Uh, on Instagram, it's at Phantom Star Killer, is like a Phantom Star Killer focused page. Yeah, or, you know, if you just type in Killer Bootlegs into Google, there's links for everything to kind of look at my work or you know get in touch with me okay well that was my visit to killer bootleg studios <laughs> all right peter thanks for having me yeah thanks man. all right Goodbye. bye